What is up, kangaroo chasers? And Merry Christmas, just a couple of days to go if you're listening to this one live. Uh, or hope you had a great Christmas if you're listening to this one a little bit late. But great episode for you, uh, Big T. He's really gotten into it. He's really gone deep. He, um, I think, inspired by my marketing episode a couple of months ago. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. But I, 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 I recorded a marketing episode with Sarah Piper and Matt Haynes. Uh, Matt Haynes, sponsor of the show, by the way. Um, and we talked about marketing and branding, and which is something that's for me very close to my heart. It's, it's, you know, I've been in marketing and advertising for for most of my career, so it was great to talk about that from a rugby league and international rugby league perspective. I think inspired by that, Big T, he wanted to talk about something very close to his heart, something that he does regularly uh, every weekend with our sport in the Balmain district. Um, I'll give you a little clue. So the guests, he's had, he's recorded three great interviews. The guests are Gavin Badger, Sean Hampstead, and Stuart Cummings. So you obviously get it there. You can see the theme. This one's called The Referee Project. So if you're thinking of refereeing, if you're interested in what they do, um, just, yeah, some really great insights here. Even if you, you don't want to be a referee or you think you don't like referees, they're people too, right? And you're going to hear that here. There's some great convo, some great information and uh yeah some really good stuff so the first one is the first interview is going to be big t's chat with sean hampstead and i've got a shout out to our man mercho uh, our producer here who we don't compliment enough on the show but what a champion little peek behind the curtain sean hampstead he knows big t very well he's a former nrl referee and he's now the chairman of referees in the balmain district which is where big t referees as well and during this interview sean calls big t by his real name, but due to some wonderful editing from our producer, guys, it's still going to be a secret. He's done it well. He's covered it well. And, uh, yeah, so see if you can pick it up, though. Uh, see if you can pick it up and give us the feedback. I'll give Mercho the feedback as well. But, guys, we're going to jump straight into that interview with Big T and Sean Hampstead straight after the theme music. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 93 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. <laughs> You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Sitting patiently on the phone with me today is the chairman of Bowman Referees Association. He himself refereed in the top grade from 1996 to 2008 including ANZ, uh, sorry, ANZAC test matches and Origin Games. Sean Hampstead, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. I've called it ANZ, I think, just from branding. ANZ, whatever ANZ has paid ANZ Stadium, that is, uh, it's worked on me because I've just read the word ANZAC and then said ANZ. So every billions of dollars that they've spent on that's worked for them. Uh, now, mate, first of all, I'm counting my lucky stars because never in my life have I had the pleasure of speaking to an NRL referee two nights in a row, but we had our Bowmain referees Zoom meeting last night. How, do, how are you going at the moment in the world of Zoom? Oh, well, it's, it's pretty good for me because um, this is my first year of being the president at, at uh, Bowmain, and um, well, I haven't, I've been to one meeting, um, so... <laughs> 
I've done them all at home. So it's been, uh, <laughs> quite a good year for me. Um, I've only had to do the Zoom meetings and I haven't had to worry about going out to the loose clubs or anything. So it's been very, very good for me. Have you had to do much Zooming in your in your professional world? No. Great. Um, I've certainly done a lot this year. Um, <laughs> as part of the presidency, you've got to go to do the um, Belmont Junior League meetings. Mm. And they were all Zoom for a while too. So I've done more Zooming this year than I've ever done. Well done. I, I think I that's... Don't think I'd, I might have done maybe once or twice before in the past, but uh, this year you know, it's been a regular occurrence. Well, uh, you're doing an excellent job with it, just like you're doing an excellent job with being the uh, chairman of the Bowman District. Am I right in thinking, though, that your granddad is also connected to the Bowman Rugby League somehow? Yeah, he um, uh, he's been he's been deceased since uh, I think he died in 1992. But he was a very famous footballer in the in the 40s and early 50s. He was like. Uh, uh, like the Wayne Pierce of the, the era, he was the lock. Wow! He played a lot of first grade. Actually, I when I first joined the police, I went to um, I got stationed at Balmain, and I used to go around to different jobs in the Balmain area, uh, especially in the Balmain Peninsula area. And um, I'd uh, I'd say, "Oh, yeah, I'm Constable Hampstead from Balmain," and the uh, the old people that lived in Balmain, they go, are you in any relation to Jack? And I'd say, oh, he's the grandfather. And they go, he's, he was the greatest footballer I've ever seen. And then, <laughs> for the next 20 minutes, you're talking about my grandfather. That, that happened very regularly when I went to jobs in Balmain, uh, when I first joined the police. Yeah, I was only yeah. 19 or, you know, I joined when I was 19, and um, I'm talking about 1986, and mm. um, it, it happened very regularly, I'd, I'd go to different jobs and, and then as soon as I say my name, they go, are you in relation to Jack? And that's what they'd say. And they, then they'd call him Sapien Jack. That was his nickname. Oh, Sapien wow. Jack. He never dropped the ball. Yeah. And then those criminals, yeah, he, um, are, those criminals are happy to come away with you, you know, without any uh, hassle because anything for Jack. Oh, no, I'm not talking about criminals. I'm talking about, uh, you know, your normal victims of a break and enter or something. You know. I'm not <laughs> right. talking about criminals. <laughs> Yeah, but he he um he played a lot of first grade. <clears throat> I think he played a hundred and uh hundred and twenty first grade games. He played for the state. Um in those days it was a bit of the old um whether you were a Catholic or a Mason and all that it was a bit of right. political stuff. That's why he never played for the country, but he was like he was probably the best lock forward in the of his era. Um and because he was a Catholic, they had to put a mason in the lock. <laughs> that's how it worked. Wow. In those days, but that, that's the way it worked. And you still sound quite proud of him. Did he ever get to see you? Is that how you got into rugby league? Uh, no. Uh, well, yeah, I always loved the game. I played it right from like um, the sixes or whatever. I absolutely loved it. No, I um. Ah, oh, well, I suppose. He used to watch them play. Um, well, I grew up in the country. Um, my father was also a policeman, but we were in the country. Ah. Um, I lived in Mudgee and Dubbo and stuff, but uh, my grandfather uh, lived in Sydney, obviously, and he'd come up and watch them play. He'd drive up to Dubbo and watch them play junior football and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I just loved the game. I, I didn't play because of my grandfather. I just played because I loved it. <laughs> so how did you then get into refereeing? 
Oh, well, I actually, um, I, I, I broke my neck uh, when I was playing football and I, um, and I couldn't play contact sports anymore. Um, so I was, yeah, I was quite seriously hurt. Actually. Wow. Um, I broke the dead of raising my neck and um, I was like, it wasn't a quadriplegic. But I went into a brace uh, for six months and that's all they could do in those days and uh, it all works at worst of a dozen a dozen and that works for me. Wow. I'm bit- I remember when I went into the brace, so it was like a spacesuit. You go into it for six months. <laughs> and there was another bloke who went into it at the same time as me. He, he had a skiing accident. He broke his, he broke his vertebrae. And, um, and then after, then they cut, cut it off me. It's like a plaster cast. They yeah. cut it off you. You've got to have it on for, it immobilizes your neck, uh, for six months. You can still walk around, but you look like us. A space man, you know, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then they cut it off you, and um, and it worked for me. But this other poor bloke, they cut it off him, and it didn't work. He had to go back into it. Oh, I still no. don't know whatever happened to him. Yeah, so they couldn't. They can't do anything for you. They just you just hope it works. <laughs> Your body fixes itself up. Wow. Um. Now, when you, I mean, it's that kind of drive then so you, you you can't play contact sport and you you can't you, you've got this i mean i don't want to say miracle but you know you've got a very crazy chance of it not working is that you then go well i still want to be involved in sport but i can't play football is that what happened yeah well i, I still want to do um i absolutely love rugby league and i just wanted to keep involved in it and yep. my father suggested that why don't you become a referee um so then um uh, I said, yeah, I didn't. I never even thought about it. And then I just um, we moved, we moved back to Sydney at that stage. And mm-hmm. um, I suppose I always I, I had my eye on going further because I lived in the Parramatta area, Winston Hills. I still live there. And um, I joined Balmain because oh, probably because of my grandfather, but also because I thought it'd be easier to get into grade from Balmain when I first joined. So I obviously had. Aspirations of getting into grade. Wow. Wow. Down there was a lot smaller association than Parramatta, and I thought you'd get more native in a smaller association. And that's probably that's how it probably worked out, actually. Wow. Um, like, I got graded really young. Uh, I got, you know, I did junior reps, and then I got, I, I was graded at 21. Yeah, wow. So. I got graded very young, and uh, so it obviously worked. If I would have been a paramatter, it might have taken me a lot longer. Well, there's a first tip that we've got for any listeners <laughs> at home um, trying to work out how they can get up there. Go and find the smallest association, and then and uh, yeah. do your best. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously, you've got to have a bit of ability, but um, yeah, if you aim high, you can do whatever you want. But that's that's what happened. But yeah, I, I'd gone down mine. Now you, I thought it was a smaller association. You then um, use that incredible ability because by the time you, you – I mean, once you get to reps, everyone's vying for position, you, and you sail through that. You, you're in the top grade for over a decade, and then you, you're also a video referee for a long period of time. Why, after that illustrious career, what, made of you, what motivated you to get back into grassroots football with the Bowman District? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I absolutely love the game, and I uh, – <laughs> And I still wanted to keep uh, refereeing and uh, help out people in Balmain because I came from Balmain. And I'm um, I'm quite close to Phil McMahon. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly helped me in my early career. Phil was the director at, back when I first started. That's how long he's been around for. Yeah, wow. And 
And uh, I wanted to help Phil out. Phil wanted me to come back and help out. And I, I said, yeah, I definitely wanted to come back. And uh, I was actually refereeing. I came back and I was running around doing you know, 16s and 17s and stuff, refereeing. I'm getting a little bit too old for now, but um, but so I did it for quite a few years. I came back and refereed. So, you know, and I want to keep, I want to keep involved in the game. And it's, yeah. It's good. And I remember... It's I and, Yeah. I had a chance to run a line with you, um, and I don't want to blow—I don't want to blow smoke up your ass. But I had a chance to run um, a line with you, and we we had comms. And I remember I learnt so much from that one-hour game um, than I had in probably the year and a half of watching thousands of other people referee. Just the way that your positioning and the, and the small amount of words that you'd use, um, but just the, the clear communication and the constant, like. Warnings, really, like seven back with me, and then blow a penalty, and then it's like seven. You don't come back with you get a penalty, and then just that that constant uh, clear communication was so great, and you controlled that game so well. And I was just thinking, this is this is a real. I can actually finally see a level that's above or two steps, three steps above where I am. And it was great to also then for me to learn. Okay, well, this is I need. I can see what the kind of communication I I need is is seeing referees actually referee and having that kind of contact where you're hearing just them talk, is that probably the best way to learn how to do it other than doing it yourself? The, the next step back, is it is it trying to get that communication, like get the comms in to hear them actually doing the job? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think I think your, your greatest learn, learner is you do more games and things happen and then you learn from your mistakes. Um, and, and certainly you learn from... Other referees, how they do things, and I think that that's what you—that's where you learn most is from other referees, mm. and you learn from your mistakes. Uh, definitely, that's. Um, I think you. Um, uh, I've been uh, involved there. Actually, this year I've um, I've seen a referee who I quite rate as a referee, but he's made a couple of um, uh, serious blues in games. And then he'll never make those days again. He'll he'll learn from them, and that's yep. that's the way you learn. And that's that's how I learn too. You make you make mistakes. You have to make mistakes. Uh, it's common. Uh, it's the way the way of the world. You make mistakes, but you then you learn from them. You'll never do them again. Yeah. Um, and that's what I learn. I I made some absolute howlers <laughs> in my career, first break, and. <laughs> I never, I never, I never made the same mistake twice because you know I won't do that again. Yeah, you learn from it. Yeah. Now, um, we have a lot of referees that listen to this from from Australia, but also the Pacific, the Americas, Africa, all, all around the world, Europe. You've got a you've got a referee now who's listening who hasn't done a game yet, but they're going to say this weekend. Other than you're going to make a mistake, what other advice do you think you could actually give someone taking the whistle for the first time, running out into the park? I, I just give them advice to go out and enjoy yourself, um, right? Because you're you're part of a game. You're not giving the knocks. Um, that's what I always found. I was always a skinny kid, and um, I'm, you know, up against uh, these, you know, six foot tall and you know, 150 kilo footballers. I was never going to make it, <laughs> right? Um, but you're you're part of the game, and and you get to you get to referee it and control it and you're part of a, a fantastic sport that I absolutely love rugby league and um, and you get to be able to play it and enjoy it and it keeps you fit and and uh, it's so enjoyable. That's that's what I found. Yeah, um, great. It's it's taken me all over the world and 
uh, I, it was the best thing I ever did taking them with rain, actually, my whole life. But we had those sliding door moments. And like it was horrible, horrible at the time when I got hurt. But it was probably the best thing that happened to me as far as uh, my career in refereeing goes because I was never going to make it as a footballer because I was too small. <laughs> and I was not, not good enough. But, you know, uh, refereeing is just fantastic. And I ever give advice to a person who's just starting, um, just be appreciative of what you've got. You go out and you can referee at a game and you're not getting the knocks and, and you're getting you're keeping fit and it's just great great for your self-esteem and it's, it's just a terrific sport to be involved in. Yeah, no, that's a great comment, sir. Now, touch judging, close to my heart, it's a skill in itself. It, I mean, the role is quite different, so it has its own set of skills. Thinking about the coaching that you do um, for people in the Bowman District, what what are the important aspects uh, to new touch judges that they should be focusing on? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, you're probably one of the well, you probably are. You're probably the best touch judge we got in Balmain. I've never uh, professed to be any great touch judge. I've never <laughs> been a touch judge coach. Uh, um, uh, like uh, Paul Holland, uh, Dutchy Holland, he always laughed at you know just. He said, what, what do you know about touch judge? Every time he sees me running a line at Balmain, he laughs his head off. He thinks, <laughs> what do you know about touch judging? But uh, I, I, I just think that um, you've got to show keenness on the line and, and like you want to be there. Right. Like, I, I absolutely hate it when I'm on one side of the, of the line and on, on the other side, the other bloke running the line, he's just walking up and down the line not even not even looking what's going on, looking up at the crowd. Oh, geez, <laughs> just they just don't want to. They don't even want to be there. Yeah, you know? and I just think, well, why are you even doing it? Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> that that really infuriates me. And it feels like it comes back to that original point then, because if you're not enjoying that role, well, you should be. You should be appreciating the fact that you're part of that game, and you you know, and and you've got such a great view of it. And if you're not enjoying it, then then, yeah, you've got to ask yourself what you just asked them. What, what are you doing there? Well, why are you, why are you there? Mm. I, I, I can understand a lot of people, they just want to be the sentiment. They don't want to be the touch judge. But, you know, um, like I, I, I actually enjoy touch judging. I enjoy it more when I'm, when I'm uh, running around and I'm, doing, I'm getting more involved in the game yeah. than walking up and down the side and waiting for it to end. Um, I, I can't understand that at all. I, I don't know why people... Well, that's some great advice. Just make sure that you, you're you're focused and interested. Because the moment you start manufacturing that, you, you guess you're going to be focused and more interested in the game, and and you're going to make some better calls. What about helping good referees graduate to great ones? So we have a bunch of that's one of your roles now in Balmain. You you watch. We've got a bunch of good referees, and you're watching them to their games. And at the end of them, you come down and tell us really ha- how to get better. So what advice do you often give that's quite valuable to people who's trying to progress from good to great? Yeah, well, I think you know, uh, um, I think this year in Balmain, we've got uh, referees that are probably um, the best we've had. We've probably got three blokes mm. um, that are that are top-notch. One in particular, I think um, I think this bloke's going to do first grade. He's, um, he's a terrific referee, and you, you can just see it. And uh, blokes like that, I, I go down and, and just little things I pick up on what they do and I just say, mate, you can't, 
Um, like you, you don't turn your back on a changeover. Mm. You show more urgency on kicks. Um, you try to make sure you uh, replay, make sure you get on the right side of the way the ball goes so you control your team better. Now, I'm just going to stop uh, you on some of these because these are great. And, and I've just realised now I can visualise and understand what we're talking about. But something like um, something like not turning your back on a play, I know I was guilty of this. It's just like one of your things about it, it happened once and, and it was a mistake I made and, and Phil, you know, talked to me about it. I haven't done it again. You're talking about when you say, when, a, when there's, a, say, a knock on, you want to make sure you don't turn your back on play because of, of infighting or, or something that could flare up. Is that what you're worried about there? Yeah, when there's a knock on and the other side gets the ball and you've got a you've got a sprint, say ten metres to get the other side back who had who had the ball, now they're defending. Mm. You've got to get back to the line quicker. It's kind of habit that you kind of just look, look at the way you your way you're running. Yeah, but you can't do that. You've got to be got to stay focused on the ruck because anything can happen while you're while you're running back to to get back with the defensive line. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, a lot of referees do it. I had a ball that went dead, which I waved dead, and then turned and, and was running back for the uh, for the drop goal. But then once one of the players went to go and get the dead ball, the ball that had gone dead, the other player, another player had come in, and there was a bit of argy-bargy of the ball. And and I hadn't seen what was happening, although it was close to me, and, and that's a similar kind of scenario there. Where if I, was, yeah, if I turned and was just watching the ball, watching yeah. the play, yeah. Now, what about before when you, when you mentioned um, – Trying to make sure that you're following the play. What were you talking about there? What, what should referees be thinking about there when when they should be f- like? Because I think m- someone might imagine that when there's a break, you're meaning follow the ball like that. But you mean you then mentioned something about a ten. So what were you what were you talking about there? My personal view on refereeing uh, is the most important thing of a refereeing. They're very big on communication now and all that down at the NRL. But to me, the most important aspect of a referee. Um, is if he gets on the on the right side of the ruck, which means that he he put, takes up a position on the way the ball goes, mm. which means that if you're on the right side of the ruck, you get the defensive line back the way the ball's going. Yep. So you, you can control the 10 metres. If you're on the wrong side of the ruck all the time, you can't control the 10 metres. Because you're on the wrong side, the way the, if the ball's going the other way all the, all the whole time, and you're on the wrong side of the ruck, yeah, you can't you can't get the players back on the way the ball goes. So you, the most important part of the of the game. So you're talking I, about. I've if, always thought that's the most important part of a referee. Yeah, positioning there. So you don't want to be on the short side or, or something like that, and then have to they then take the ball out to the far side, and then you're chasing all the way along that defensive line. All the line. way along. Yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay, so that's a great one. Don't turn your back. Um, and then the last one that we heard before I interrupted you was was urgency and kick chase. So what are you talking about there? Yeah, um, uh, when I was looking at junior, uh, junior referees, we, we got them on the fifth and last when there's a kick downfield. You don't just jog down down the park. You sprint as hard as you can to get down. Well, uh, for high kicks, you get down for the when the fullback takes it. Mm. You're in line with him to see whether it's a knock on or a knock back. Yeah, so wow. You know, Ten meters in front of the ball, you you can't tell whether it's a knock. He knocks it on forward or knocks it on back. You've got to be in line with the, with the fullback catching the ball on a high kick, and then on a deep long kick, you spread down as far as you can to get down there quick as you can to to make a ruling on whether it goes dead or. Mm. 
the player, if it goes, you know, uh, help the club strategy out for a 40 20 or whatever, you just, you, on kicks, you've got to be urgent all the time. That's an uh, excellent we advice. Were so big on that. Because you often see um, the referees just clock off on the fifth tackle. They just, uh, oh, it's going to be a kick and they'll just jog down the field. Mm. But you can't. You can't do it. You've got to be more urgent on the, on the fifth and last. You've got to, you've got to sprint down with the kick. I'm starting starting to hear a pattern here where you really are all about positioning because all three of those major tips you've given us are all about where you're standing, so where where you are and in position of the ball. So I guess communication is important, but you can't. What what do you have to communicate unless you're in the right position to make the right call? Yeah, Yeah. positioning is by far the most important aspect of referee. Um, I I can look at a referee and. Um, if, he, if he can't read the play, if he doesn't, if he's not urgent, I, I kind of just turn off. I just think this, you know, this bloke needs so much help, it's not funny. Um, mm. And we're very lucky at Balmain, as I said, we've got three blokes that are, are top-notch. Um, and uh, I, I really think that uh, we're going to have, like, we've got Matt Chichin at the moment in first grade. Yeah. And then Matt won't last forever, but we got some blokes coming through that are going to really shine. And one bloke in particular, I think we'll be seeing his name in first grade in, you know, in five, ten years, and he'll be a regular first grade referee. Down to his positioning. Love it, Sean. Thank yeah. you so much, mate. Uh, well, that's all the questions and comments I have, mate. Did you have anything else before we finish? No, that's, that's all. I, I, it's good. It's, uh, this goes to all different referees that are Join. I'm glad you joined, and I hope you'll you'll enjoy it as much as I have, because I certainly will. Thanks so much for your time. You're right, no dramas. How good was that? Big T and Sean Hampstead. I love the whole like potential to travel the world aspect of that conversation. Um, and, and it spoke to me as well because like he spoke about like if you're not good enough or big enough to to sort of play rugby league professionally, then refereeing's a great way to continue to enjoy and be involved in the sport that speaks to me you know i was never never going to be good enough to play nrl but you know just to be involved it's incredible it's pretty cool for those who love the game so well done sean and big t the next conversation is going to be with stuart cummings now stuart is a former match officials director of the rugby football league so he's refereed in super league he's also been he's also a former international referee so he's he's refereed at domestic level at international rugby league level He's also the International Rugby League's first ever match official manager. Now, in this discussion, he goes in, talks about what that includes, what what's that, what the structure and what's involved. It's really interesting for someone like myself. I hope you guys like it as well. Before we jump to that convo, I just want to shout out to our sponsor, Matt Haynes Sports. You all know him by now. But uh, if you are interested in some rugby league uh, logos, rugby league jersey design, uh, or some kit production, then make sure you hit him up. It's matthainsport.com.au. If you need your jerseys produced, uh, whether you're a developing nation, you're part of of a developing club, you have an Oztag team or a touch football team during the week and you want to get your jerseys produced, then hit up matthainsport.com and let Matt know. Uh, that you are a kangaroo chaser because you'll get 10% off. So uh, make sure you do that. Don't forget, guys. Uh, Matt, very big kangaroo chaser himself. But, yeah, thank you to Matty Haynes Sports for, for your continued support of the podcast and of our listeners as well. But now over to Big T's chat with Stuart Cummings. 
Sitting patiently on the phone with me today is a man who oversaw more than 400 first grade games, including four Challenge Cup finals, two World Cup finals, and two grand finals. He is currently the International Rugby League Match Officials Manager, Stuart Cummings, MBE. Welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. Uh, thank you, and thanks for inviting me on. Oh, no, not at all. Now, sir, talk me through the MBE. How, when, where? Well, that, that happened in uh, 2014 when I got a mysterious letter, which Ooh. my wife was very curious about and opened up. And uh, when she read it to me, we both thought it was a hoax and uh, dismissed <laughs> it. But the longer we looked at it, we realised that perhaps it might be true. And in um, you know, typical British style, you're not allowed to tell anybody till it's announced on New Year's Day, ah. um, which it was. Um, so we had to keep it a secret from all the family and uh, what have you, and then announce it to them uh, before it went to press. So it was uh, it was a great honour for me. Went to Buckingham Palace yeah. and received it from the Queen herself. What? So it was uh, a very good day. Yes, that's incredible. So how does that letter end up there? Like, did people nominate you? Um, is there a panel that just saw yeah, your great you get, work? You get a, you get nominated. I was um, nominated for my services to rugby league mm-hmm. uh, for the amount of time I was um, in the game, um, and. Basically, they, they send it to a nominations panel and you're scrutinised by those high up in um, in the parliament. Uh, make sure that there's nothing in your background that would uh, cause them embarrassment. And right. if you clear that, then uh, you get the uh, the honour, which, uh, which I was very grateful to receive. And, uh, you know, it was a great day in, in my family's life. And when you were first getting into rugby league, did you ever jokingly think, geez, this would be a great way to meet the Queen? <laughs> Well, actually, it's not the first time I've met the Queen. No. I met her at a, a reception. <laughs> I met her at a reception before that. Um, for um, it, it was a particularly good sporting year over here, and I represented the uh, match officials of the of the uh, of the country at a reception at Buckingham Palace. And uh, there's been a, a lineup as well uh, before one of the cup finals that um, she was present at, and other members of the royal family have always done presentations before that. But certainly, starting uh, starting off in rugby league, you never you never look to an outcome, do you? You just uh, you know get out and enjoy yourself and uh, mm. see where it takes you. And uh, I was fortunate enough for it to take me to Buckingham Palace. Wow! And so, how did you? What's your first memory of rugby league? Then, how did you first get into it? Well, I was um, I was born and brought up in the uh, in West Cumbria, up uh, in the Lake District region of um, of England. You you might be aware of it. It's a beautiful part of the world, and they had a rugby league team. Uh, it wasn't a particularly strong rugby league team, but uh, Whitehaven was uh, the team that I, I was brought up following. And uh, my my father used to go down and watch the games. And as a seven year old, I was uh, taken down with him to see where he used to go every Saturday afternoon. Yeah, right. And uh, it was from there that I just just stayed with the game. And then, how did you get into refereeing then? Well, that's another. So I went away to um, to train to be a teacher in uh, the, the the Lancashire area, and I had an uncle who was a, a touch judge. He would referee the local level and touch judge at professional level. And if he was down in the area, I would go along and meet him. Um, I'd always been a player um, and actually meeting him before the game in the changing rooms with the referees, I used to listen to what they were talking about prior to the game and what mm. they were going to look at when they went out to, to referee. And it gave me a whole different perspective of things. Um, at the time, um, I was in my early 20s. Most of my weekends were taken up with um, school competitions. I was a PE teacher, so I was uh, working at school there, refereeing those games. And uh, I remember after one particular game I'd been to, um, I said to my uncle, so I didn't think the referee um, 
handled such a such an incident uh, very well. And he said, "Well, if you can do better, why don't you have a go?" So I did. <laughs> the amount of times that would have been used. I mean, uh, I've also had the opportunity <laughs> to referee, and you hear players blowing up or, or giving advice. And the amount of times I've heard people say, "Oh yeah, we've got sign up forms on the sideline if you wanted to have a go." But it worked. <laughs> it worked for you. You 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 heard that challenge and went, "Okay, then I will." Well, it did. Uh, you know, I've always been pretty pretty determined. And it coincided with a period where I was playing um, what we call minor counties cricket under here, which is a level above the uh, professional level. Um, and, you know, it didn't really mix trying to do that part-time with uh, with a teaching role. Um, so I was looking for another challenge and uh, I was probably too old to, to get playing again. So um, I decided to go down the refereeing route and, uh, you know, it was uh, it was pretty good to me. Um, you know, we got, got some success pretty quickly. And the system was, was such that, uh, you know, I managed from, starting to get into the top professional level in three years. So wow. um got through there pretty quickly. But, I mean, a lot of that's to, the, to do with the fact that I've actually been refereeing school games, mm-hmm. you know, for a number of years um, without having any qualifications or anything like that other than being a teacher. So, you know, that, that sort of training helped me in good stead to, to move me forward fairly quickly. Well, refereeing and school teaching is very similar. Just one has a whistle. Um, the other thing I would <laughs> suggest... The other thing I wanted to know, though, in those early days then when you're, you're moving through that, those three years from, from county to thing, what were the kind of challenges you, 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 you faced that, that jump out at you now? What, what was challenging on field as a referee during that time? Well, the challenges um, for, for any referee really is you, as you step up a level, everything, gets, everything happens quicker. Right. So where you've been used to a game that's got a, a fairly slow pace and you can respond to it and react to it, as soon as you go up a level, it happens very fast and of course when you get to the professional level things are happening around you a lot quicker than they are at the uh, at the amateur level so you've got to be able to cope with that that's that's the main thing um the other thing is belief you know because there's plenty of people that will tell you on the way through that you're not very good and that uh, you shouldn't be doing this and you're a disgrace and all these comments that you hear mm. um, and it's just having a bit of belief in yourself and um, you know being able to to carry on with that challenge yeah well okay and that also sounds like an excellent, um, some excellent advice you might also give any referees that are moving from even professional um, Super League NRL to, to the international stage that you're talking, that you look at now. Would that be right? Does the, does the pace and intensity also kind of, the, the further up the rep rounds we go? Um, well, it, it's probably slightly different. If you, if you take an, an NRL or a, a Super League referee into the international, if you've got the, uh, the top teams, then it, it probably would be, there would be a similar, if not more intense, environment for them to refer- for them to referee in. Right. Um, however, if if you're taking those to um, some of the other nations, it might be might be a bit slower. But the thing about international rugby league is that it's different. It's not NRL rugby mm. league. It's not Super League rugby league. Um, you know, it, it is it it is a very different competition because people play in different ways. Um, in some respects, there's a lot more football played. Perhaps it's not as structured, mm. and so the referee has to be able to respond to that. So it's not as straightforward as just saying, "Well, it's going to be quicker," so I'll just respond to that. There's, a, there's there's quite a few different challenges, and of course, you've got players that you might not be refereeing week in week out that aren't used to you, and there's nothing a coach likes um, worse than actually having some somebody he doesn't know and not sure how they're going to respond. So, you know, that, that in itself is a challenge. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm going to get more to that then later. Uh, but before we move off your past, I just want to know, when was the last time you had a run in the middle? Uh, 2002 Challenge Cup final 
Wigan versus St Helens at Murrayfield. Wow! And and how did that? How did you go? How was your game? The game went pretty well, actually. Um, you know, I think the, there was there was nothing controversial. In fact, it was it was quite a strange situation in that um, I, I was finishing. It was my last game because um, I'd been appointed to take over in charge of the referees. Um, so that was that was the reason it was my last game. Right. So it was probably a couple of years before I wanted to finish refereeing, but um, you know the opportunity came up, and uh, who knows what would happen if uh, somebody else was appointed and found out that I'd been offered the role. So you know, ah. decided it was probably wise to take the job. And so um, the I refereed the Challenge Cup final on the Saturday, and Monday I was in the office as uh, the referee's boss, and the first thing I had to deal with was a complaint from the uh, the BBC. Um, about the video referee in my game who said that um, the footage that he was provide, provided uh, for a crucial decision wasn't good enough because it was the BBC as supposed to sky our usual broadcasters. So <laughs> straight away I was uh, on the front foot trying to um, kind of put out some fires with the BBC, who one of our broadcast partners. So that was uh, an interesting start to my um, role as match <laughs> officials director. And straight away, you had one day off, you had the Sunday off yeah. to, to try and uh, cool down. Yeah, and, yeah. Now, I didn't have to do a review of my own games for the coaches. Though. That was a bonus. <laughs> That's good. What about, um, was it emotional then? Because you, you, you're in the, the, the peak and pinnacle, you, you're refereeing such an important game. There's a swell of of fans and those teams, and you know that this is your final, uh, this is your final run. Was was that an emotional time? Was that an emotional game? Well, strangely, no, because um, I knew I had a, a, probably a bigger challenge because I was oh. I was quite confident in my ability as a referee. But uh, you know, who who knows how we'll go? You know, moving over to a coaching role, uh, management role. Um, so that, so that was probably more my focus, getting that game out of the way. So I could start sorting out for the for the next um, for the next role. So uh, you know I don't remember many emotions about it at all, other, other than you know it was important for me to to make sure it went right, and it did. Yeah, and it's probably just another time that you met the Queen and move on. Yep, okay. Um, no, no not, not on that occasion. I remember <laughs> who was there that one. Not that weekend. Um, no. Your current role now. What's your current role? Uh, currently, I'm the um, International Rugby League Match Officials Manager. Um, it's a new role that started at the um, in January. Um, it's a, a part-time role. It's it only involves sixty days a year. Um, it's the first time um, such a role has been um, in in being, um, and so you know it's important that we develop it in the way that we want it. Initially, the role is to mainly the role is to uh, make sure that the international games are, have referees appointed to them, and they're all turning up at the right place. Um, but obviously there's a lot of structure work around that to um, to build the international structure because um, the game is expanding. Mm. Um, it's been played in a lot of different countries, so it's important that we capture what's going on there and make sure that the international game is represented properly with the officials that are being put onto, onto the game. So um, unfortunately with COVID being around, it's meant that, um, that there's not many games to actually watch and and uh, scrutinise and appoint to, but it has been good in that um, it's given me a lot of chance to look at the structure, um, to to look at all the protocols that are in place, and you know get some uh, work underway for the 2021 World Cup that's taking place in England next year. Oh, so excited! So, um, about you know, it, yeah. Well, it's been it's been really good to work with some of that, and um, you know some of the plans that are in place for the tournament itself are, are really really good. The team that are working there are a fantastic team. 
Uh, I've worked with some of them before and they're very passionate about what they do and they're determined to make it a great competition, which I'm sure it will be. Yeah, and you can feel that um, on the other side of the world that the organisation and, and the push that they're, that they're doing to make this happen and make it good, you can really tell. You mentioned before that, that you can see that there's a growth, there's a real, that there are more international games happening and, and that's one of the parts of your role. Is that, is that something that excites you, um, that that's happening? Well, well, it is because, uh, you know, for so long we've, we've just been looking at sort of uh, three to five teams um, internationally and, and not much beyond that. But you look at the uh, Pacific nations that are really developing down there. Um, a lot of countries in, the, in Europe now are, are starting to play rugby league. Um, and, you know, the more spread we get, the more recognition we get from, uh, from governments, the more investment that comes into, um, that comes into the game that uh, helps it, um, you know, become a bigger game itself, mm. which uh, which is what we need at international level. So it's, um, you know, it is exciting looking at the teams. And to be honest, until I, I got down into this role and started looking at where it's played, I, you know, I, I had no idea at some of the countries that were playing rugby league, which is fantastic. Yeah. Now, when we um, when we first saw this announcement, we, we talked about it on, on our podcast because the podcast is, is about the growth of rugby league. And- and I um, was, we were really excited about the announcement of your um, position. But the more I looked into it, and, and you describing the role then, it's bizarre that the role didn't exist up until now. Why did it take so long to, to put someone in this position or create this position? <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. In 2008, I put a paper to the, international, the then international board and suggested that um, the, the method of appointing referees for games is bizarre because it comes down to a vote and, you know, it comes down to a vote of three people and it's always a majority 2-1. And you end up having more conversations about who's going to referee the game and how the appointment process is going than you actually talk about the players and, you know, the you know what's going to happen in the game, which is where the focus should be. And so in 2008, I put the, the paper to... Um, the international board, and they said, well, at the moment, we can't really afford to have anybody in the role. In 2011, the paper was put back into the International Federation in a different format. Um, and again, the same sort of thing came back, but mm. they, were, they were very close to uh, actually agreeing it. And it's ironic now that um, this, this has gone through and me being the person that put the paper together in the first place has been appointed to it. So um, it's... It's a long time coming, but at least it's there now. You know, we've got to start, so I think it's important that, um, you know, we look to build on it and we, we look to do the right thing for our officials in the game. Well, it sounds serendipitous and it sounds like nobody else should have ever done this role and that fate was just waiting for you to be ready for it. <laughs> but what, I know you've only well, been I'm in happy, I'm happy to be in the role. I'm happy to be in the role because of that. You know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, I've always been passionate about international uh, officiating and I've always thought it could be done better. And, you know, when I was in the role of the RFL appointing the referees, your hands are always tied a little bit into to what you can actually do. Um, but the beauty of this, it's independent. I'm not employed by the RFL. Yes, I'm, I'm English. I live in England. But I'm, I'm as passionate about Australian Papua New Guinea referees than I, you know, as much as I am about English referees. I'm not there to push one over the other mm. because um, at the end of the day, it's my reputation on the line. Um, it's my name that's going to be put out there if somebody's on a on a, a game that um, isn't up to it, you know. So it's important that we get it right for international refereeing. So it's independent, and that's that's the main word that we need here. That's fantastic. Now, um, you mentioned before that the getting into the role, you saw a whole bunch of teams uh, or nations competing that you hadn't before. Is there anything else that you found quite rewarding um, being in the since becoming part of this role, taking on this role? 
Well, I think the uh, the structures that are in place, um, in certainly in the European Federation, um, that are always that, that you know basically on a, a part time basis, somebody's been you know doing a lot of work getting to, together uh, qualification structures, um, which is what we're we're trying to spread out into other regions of the world. Um, a lot of work's been done there, so it's uh, pointless reinventing the wheel. You know, we'll we'll try and roll it out into other areas. So it's really pleasing to see that there has been a, a good base level of work done by some uh, very worthy volunteers in the international game, um, and we need to spread that spread that across. But also, you know, I've been getting footage of some games from, uh, for example, Papua New Guinea. The uh, the competition's been going out there. I think they're up to round six now. Mm. And uh, very encouraged by the um, the you know performance of officials out there, um, and you know I've been in, in dialogue with their their um, managers, uh, looking at um, ways we can develop those referees to get them into the international structure. So you know there's a, there's a lot of lot of things happening that aren't necessarily all coordinated and tied together. So hopefully we can do that and um, you know make the game stronger. So how does that pathway work? How- is it that you watch Super League games and NRL games live or you get sent tapes, people nominate people? How does the pathway work? No, I would never be able to do, I would never be able to do that and watch watch all the games. Yeah. I mean, basically the pathway comes through nominations. So, you know, I don't have to worry about Super League, I don't have to worry about the NRL because they have very strong structures, very good managers in place, and they're very well coached. So their top um, top officials Will, be, will then be nominated to go on to the international panel. Mm-hmm. The structure we've, uh, we're putting in place is that we're going to have three international panels. We've got the elite international panel, which is obviously um, they're going to be refereeing the, the top, uh, top nations, um, things in the World Cup, the top games in the World Cup, and that'll be a panel of eight referees that we're looking, but no more than three referees from each nation, from any nation, right. can be on that panel. So um, obviously there's competition to get on that panel um, and the competition within the NRL, you know, will, is very similar to the competition they'll have um, going towards the um, grand final. You know, the top referees yep. end up there. And I would imagine the top uh, three referees will be nominated to go onto the international panel. Below that, we're having what we're calling just the international panel where there'll be 24 officials um, from various countries, and again, no more than three officials from one nation. So again, they'll be looking at um, refereeing mid-tier games um, to get them to give them the experience of international rugby, which is, as I said before, is different to what they'll be used to refereeing. And then, probably the most exciting um, panel, as far as I'm concerned, is the emerging panel, mm. where we've got all the emerging nations from around the world who will be nominating their their, their top referees to go on there. And there's, uh, that, that panel is unlimited. Now, the reason for the panels is that, um, you know, we've developed a, um, a, a format that certain tiered games will have referees from a certain panel. Yep. The referees must be from an international panel in order to referee it, uh, in order for a game to go ahead. So um, we'll, be, we'll be nominating the referees for each competition based on which, which um, panel they're in. And anyone that wants to get onto the international, the elite panel, 
after um, after we've set up the first panels, they will have to have refereed in the international panel first. Mm. So they've got some experience of international uh, refereeing. So the first elite panel is probably not going to be a surprise in the names you'll hear. Yep. And they'll, you know, we'll be doing work on those at the end of the domestic seasons. Um, but beyond that, anybody that gets onto the elite panel will have to have come through the international panel first. So we've got a structure in place and, uh, you know, hopefully referees will want to come on board and get involved with it. Um, you know, we're trying to do things the right way. Everybody will be well informed of what's expected of them, what the um, what the expectations have been an international referee are. And if they want to uh, sign up and be part of the journey, then that's great. They can jump on board. That sounds phenomenal and, and sensible, really well thought out. You've been part of, of refereeing and, and managing referees and promoting them for, for a long time, but you mentioned before international games can be quite different to, um, to anything that you've refereed before. So how, what do you look for that, where you can see a, a referee should be moving in the future from that emerging to the international or international to elite? Well, really, it's, I think the, the most important thing is that anybody that coming into, let's say, let's use someone from Spain for, an exam, for mm-hmm. example, They've had a, a competition there for a number of years, and you know there's a, a couple of referees there that are um, that, that are quite useful. Um, so they need to know that there is a way through um, to get to the elite international panel. But it's not just going to happen. That if they're prepared to put the work in to get to the next level, and you know they'll they'll be um, we'll be watching them on on the video and giving them feedback, and hopefully watching them live. We'll, we'll, we'll have structures around that. So the, the important thing is that they know there's a way through. How they respond to the coaching and the challenges that they'll have, mm. because it will be hard work for them, is, is up to them. You know, one, of the, uh, one of the things you find is you get a lot of referees who think they have ability, but they're not prepared to put any work in. And the questions they'll ask is, well, what are you doing to, uh, to get me to the top? Mm. It's not my job to get you to the top. It's your job to get to the top. So it's, it's a bit around philosophy. Um, but it's certainly around them putting in the hard work. It's not just going to happen because they might be the top referee in Spain. They automatically get through to the elite panel. That isn't going to happen. They have to prove themselves at the at, at the game in the games of the refereeing, and they have to put the hard work in um, in order to move forward. It's the same in any job, in any role. Players, referees, they're all the same. Stuart, it's making a lot of sense while you're in this role, mate. What about one more thing that I want to talk about? Um... That's slightly off all of that. It's generally, particularly in Australia, I don't know how much you keep across Australian rugby league media, but there is a there is a, a there is a cultural problem probably with with not probably there is a cultural problem with fans and referees. Um, have you have you know come across that in your time um, in refereeing? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer: Yes. Yeah. Good. I mean, what, how do we fix this? Yes. Mate? They- how, what do we do to fix this? What? Look, are you ever going to fix it? You know, it's, it's like the the automatic right to go and shout at somebody and have a go at somebody. You know, I remember I go back to my days as a spectator at Whitehaven. The the changing rooms used to be outside the ground, and the teams and the referees and touch judges had to walk through the crowd oh, at the end of the game to, <laughs> to get to the changing rooms. Now. I, I would be I would be one of those people that would uh, try and get close to the, the referee and give him a give him an earful before I went off home happy, and it was it was almost like you know that that's that's what was expected. I'm not saying it's right. It's only as I became a, a referee that you would see these same people who would do those things, and 
it's almost like it's their it's their their um, their right to say something, and they feel happy if they've, if they've made the feelings known. Now there are situations where it goes over the top, and there, there is a limit. And you know, I think in general the uh, authorities do tend to clamp down on you know where it does go over the top. And we, we saw some cases in the NRL recently against players, abuse against players, which was dealt with very swiftly. Mm. And I think where it does go over the top, that uh, you know, examples are made of people, and, and that's only right. But are you ever going to stop people booing the referee? Are you ever going to stop people chanting things against the referee? I don't think so. And I think probably. Um, the the right sort of thing to do would be to have a, a greater understanding of where the, where the, the line is drawn, mm. and uh, you know if we can control that, it would be better. But you're never you're never going to stop it. Let's face it. Okay, well let's focus on things we can fix. Then what what are you currently working on in your level to improve the game? Well, it's it's just really the structures. I, I can't really do much um, with what's happening in games at the moment because, mm. as I said, we have no international games. But um, all my work at the moment is around structures. We're working on uh, a laws paper where we're trying to get the um, look at all the different laws that are around the world and pull it back together so that we get um, you know, a, a definitive international law book that's up-to-date and regularly updated um, each year. Ah. We just appointed um, a laws appointments, a, a laws advisory panel, um, which... You know, we'll go a long way to sorting that out. And our hope is that by the end of um, 2020, we'll have the international laws signed off and stamped, rubber stamped by the board. And those will be the laws that will be played in the World Cup at the end of next year. So that we don't have to sit down a week or two beforehand and decide how the game's going to be played. <laughs> right. They'll be in position. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be played um, to the laws that are decided at the end of this year. Uh, moving forward, that the international um, rugby league will be able to respond quickly to any law changes that are brought about. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that the uh, the six again laws uh, changed the game um, for the better, and um, I think it's important that we are able to respond to those those type of changes and uh, where appropriate bring them into uh, the international uh, rule book. Which is wow. Good. Okay. Let's think. Um, let's just skip a little bit. We've gone. We've just had the World Cup. It's gone phenomenally well. The refereeing was outstanding, and everyone talked about how great the refereeing was. Australia won. And uh, what what happens in the future? What, what do you really want to see happen for the your particular your role or refereeing generally f- further down the track? Well, my role is more more. Well, the benefits I'm looking for are, are more countries with um, a structure for their referees within their countries, uh, which should bring more referees uh, to our attention, which builds more referees within the international game. Um, you know, the stronger we, we get the referees, the better competition the players are going to be playing in. Therefore, the better the players are going to be when they're representing their countries, the better the competition will be uh, in internationally. And that's what we're looking to do, to develop the international game. You know, better better officials, better prepared officials means better games. So, um, you know, that'll, that will be the focus. And it's uh, just trying to encourage and support the um, the countries, particularly the emerging countries, um, to develop their referees in the right way and support their referees in the right way. Because, um, as I said, that, that means their competition will be better. Fantastic. And so, well, let's just maybe end on any anything you might say to someone who's listening now in one of those emerging nations who's, maybe playing or on the fence about whether they want to be a referee or a judge, what might you say to them? 
Well, I would say to them, I've um, because I took the decision to um, try refereeing and see see if I could do it. Um, I've been to America, to Australia several times, France, travelled the world, all because of rugby league. You know, the the, exam, the the things I could never have done. I refereed the first game in the um, Olympic Stadium in Sydney. Wow. It was a test event. Um, that was the first thing in there. That's one of the uh, the, the greatest achievements I did. I refereed in Wembley Stadium. You don't know where you're going to end up. And as I said, I, I went to Buckingham Palace. If you don't try it, you'll never know what it is. But it's it's great to be involved, and it's the best seat in the house. You know, you hear it, you smell it, you see it. <laughs> Sometimes it's not great, but it's a great place to be. Yeah. And you end up as a close personal friend of the Queen, so you never know what could happen. That's it. Thanks, Stuart. This has been great. <laughs> That's it. Are there any other questions or comments before we finish? No, I would just say keep doing, keep up with the good work. It's a, it's a great podcast, and uh, keep going. Well, I appreciate that very much, sir, and uh, and I thoroughly am excited and impressed that you're in that role, and I can't wait to see um, greater things happen for our refereeing people up the very top tier. That's great. Thanks very much. Well, big teammate, absolutely killing it with these interviews. You can you can hear the passion as always in his voice. Maybe a little bit more than usual. Great chat with Stuart Cummings. For the big takeaways for me, like. Hearing about um, the structure for the for the elite international rugby league panel, like no more than three referees um, from each main nation, and and the way that sort of trickles down to the lower levels of international rugby league as well, the T twos and threes, like that. To me, I think that's the right way to go. It's good to see like a process and and a structure in place there. And you know, in the in a World Cup year coming up, it's going to be critical and yeah, great stuff. Can't wait to hear more about that as the season progresses towards that World Cup. Um, the other big one too, like how do we fix the cultural problems between fans and referees? I think it's really interesting to hear the referee's perspective and hear his story about, you know, before he was a ref. So uh, thanks to Stuart for being a part of this and, yeah, really opened my eyes a little bit to what it's like to be a ref. And, um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, one more interview uh, in this Refs Project special by Big T. And uh, one of my favourite conversations out of the three, no offence to the other two, but this one was just epic. Um, Gavin Badger, we all know him. He's a former NRL referee. In fact, when Big T recorded this interview, Gavin was was still an NRL referee. He recorded it a couple of months ago. Since then, of course, he's he's since retired as an NRL ref. And, and I will say as well, he does mention the Toronto Wolfpack in there. So I was pre that selection. That's how long ago this interview was. But still some great, great chat here. Um, and I didn't realise how big of an international and development or an expansionist fan Gavin Badger was. Like some of the stuff he talks about, you'd think he's a chasing kangaroos listener. Maybe he should be. Gav, if you're listening, check out a few previous episodes, mate. You will enjoy it. California Rugby League, for example, California Love. Go check that one out, Gav. Um, but yeah, really great chat. Gavin, I think, will definitely be able to to help out uh, in future as well with this sort of thing. And in fact, you know what? I'm gonna let. There's a little. There was a little message from Gavin, which uh, he did tell Big T off the air. I'm gonna save it for the end of this interview. So, so stick around, listen to this one, and if you're a part of rugby league in a developing nation, then uh, you definitely want to stay at the end. I'll be back at the end. I'll let you know what Gavin told Big T off air, and uh, yeah, just enjoy this last interview from the Referees Project by Big T. 
Sitting patiently on the phone with me today is a current NRL referee and development officer. He's been part of over 300 plus first grade games, including numerous rep games. Gavin Badger, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic, sir. I feel even more privileged to have you on the phone. Now, you have a wonderful beard. And in fact, looking over, <laughs> looking over a lot of the photos of current male uh, referees that are on the NRL website, they all have, well, not all, but a lot of them have beards. What is it with referees and beards? Um, I don't know. Um, and they don't all keep them. Um, a lot of guys have had them <laughs> at different stages, um, especially in pre-season, more through laziness to shave than, than anything else. But once the cameras are on, they've got to get on TV, they, they get a little bit um, oh. self-conscious and shave them off. Um, so we don't see a lot of guys running around them, but the best beard in the business is Phil Henderson. Um, and I'm not sure, I, I, well, I'm pretty sure Hendo had his before me, but I just happened to be a first grade referee at the time and he was running around in lower grade. And um, it's funny because um, I often get uh, messages on social media sort of ripping in decisions that I've made in games that wasn't actually me, it was actually Phil Henderson, so <laughs> I get the two of us mixed up a little bit. People have said he's the uglier version of me, so... <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, and he's not here to defend himself, so he, you've had it. Well 100%. done. 100%. <laughs> and, and, and if he was here and he was talking to me, he'd be saying a lot worse things about me. So. <laughs> now, speaking of getting to say what you want and no one being able to defend themselves, you were part of a fantastic podcast with Casey. Um, is that coming back? What's happening with that podcast? Yeah, hopefully. So, um, obviously, the way the world is at the moment and COVID-19 sort of uh, putting a stop to a lot of things. Yep. Um, unfortunately for Casey and I, we are part of the NRL bubble, as all the referees are. So we have, you know, certain things that we can and can't do. And at the moment, you know, virtually we can only leave our house for essential items. So we can go shopping, um, we can walk the dog, um, or we can get a haircut, which for some reason is essential as well. So they're virtually <laughs> the only three times we can leave the house if it's not for games or training. So um, where we uh, record the podcast is in a clean zone. Um, so unfortunately, uh, we can't do it this year for the remainder of this season until we're outside the bubble. But hopefully going forward, um, if the NRL will have us back, it's something that we'd love to do. And it's something that was organised through the NRL. So um, we're really appreciative for the opportunity that they gave us. Now, have most people during COVID took on crazy hobbies to, to give them something to do. So if someone posted you a podcast kit, maybe you and Case could give us like almost a, you know, inside the worlds of the badges, some kind of almost reality TV podcast. Is that two hours? Uh, yeah, it's something that we actually looked at, and um, obviously we didn't know what was going to happen when all this was, was going on, so we weren't sure what we could do. So we sort of left it a bit late to, to jump in and try and organise something like that. But it was something that we did speak to the NRL about, um, getting us a, a portable set so we could either have it at home or have it in at the, um, the referee's office where we could sit down and do some stuff. We actually looked at that. We, we travel a little bit overseas yeah. at the end of every season to go and watch NHL games and stuff like that. And we, we've actually spoken about that, maybe just to want to, a little bit more real way on that as well. So going forward, it might be something that we look at. Yeah, Not great. Not really, uh, yeah, interesting lives or anything, but we do have a lot of opinions. <laughs> You've just explained almost every podcast in the world. Exactly right. <laughs> and, and, and Casey loves podcasts, but the scary thing is she generally loves murder, murder podcasts right. and stuff like that. So um, it scares me sometimes, but she is a massive <laughs> podcast fan. And is that what you guys are doing? Like, are you going stir-crazy? Um, a little bit. We're both... Because you love your exercise as well, don't you? You're, you're both big exercise yeah. nuts. Yeah, and we actually, we, we own a gym as well. Yeah. Gym, which we haven't been able to go and do anything with, which um, was frustrating because um, part of it was just going out there and hanging out with, with people and, you know, and, and, and 
is being sociable more than anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that was a little hobby that we sort of have on the side. Um, we like to spend a lot of time down the beach on that as well. So um, that's killing us, especially the weather's been pretty good in Sydney of late. Mm. Um, just, yeah, just getting out. I mean, just little things like just get, you know sitting down at a table at a cafe and put, someone putting food in front of you instead of having to cook it yourself and, you know, little things like that that you – you take for granted that we, we sort of can't do, but um, we set up a gym. <laughs> we, we don't have a, a dining room at our house now, so it's virtually a gym. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's actually been pretty good because I, I use exercise a lot for mental health as well. You know, to, right. you know it's something that, that sort of I can just put my headphones on and listen to a podcast or listen to some music for an hour, hour and a half and just go for it. So, um, yeah, we set up a gym there and, and – and that works for us. We've also got a dog which we can walk, so mm. um, the, the dog's the thinnest he's ever been because he gets plenty of walks now. <laughs> and has that love for exercise always been around? Like, is that how you originally got into rugby league? Um, yeah, I've always been an active kid. Like, I, I remember, like, there's, there's plenty of stories out there about my trip, my childhood and my youth, and it wasn't, um, I didn't have a great childhood, um, but one thing that was always there was sport. Mm. I always turned to sport, and I think that's what kept me Saying it kept me out of trouble. It kept me on the right path. Not that it always kept me out of trouble, but for the majority <laughs> of my, my youth, it kept me out of trouble. Um, yeah, and I, try, I played as a kid. I tried every sport I could. You know, if if I wasn't playing um, league on Sundays, I was playing soccer on Saturdays. There was cricket. There was you know whatever I could sort of get a hold of or whatever I could find somewhere where I could get to or a coach could pick me up and take me there. I was I was part of it. So. Yeah, it has. And even like through school and just distance running and stuff like that, I used to just love being by myself and running and and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's always been there. Um, and I've always been competitive. I hate losing at anything. So <laughs> I think that helps. And and did you referee a lot of games then when you were like lots of different sports as well when you were young or was it just mainly? No, nah, no, nah, never, never, never. It's not something that I ever thought I would do. Like I, right. I tell the story a lot. I, like I. I sort of despised referees when I played. I didn't like referees because I was sort of a cheeky halfback and, you know, I had a bit of a mouth on me and, you know, I always thought the referees were there to ruin the game. But um, it wasn't until later in life where I bumped into a, an old coach who had started refereeing and, you know, he, he sort of took a while to get me, but he convinced me that it might be something that I might enjoy. So, yeah, it wasn't until later in life that I went that path. And what were the best things about it then at that time that, that, that kept you doing it? Um, it, it for me, it was some structure. I, I've never really had any structure in my life. Right. Um, I was pretty loose, latchkey. I was. Yeah, I grew up in Wardley, Redfern, and we were. You know, there was a big bunch of us that were just running the streets, actually. You know, what I mean, because there was so many. You know, it could be twenty and thirty of us kids. Right. Yeah, you know, just hanging out in the park, you know, nonstop. So, um, I didn't have a lot of structure. I grew up single mum. You know, there's, there's a whole story behind it. But um, when I got into refereeing, it gave me something. Like I've, I've always been. Like in every sport that I played, I was always okay at sport, but I was never the best in the team. But I, yeah, but when I went into refereeing, I found something that I, I started to enjoy it. But I also found that I was pretty good at it. Right. And the fact that people were telling me I was good at it, and the fact that there were people that were willing. So when I played in sports, you're playing a team sport, and you have you know seventeen kids or whatever in a team with one coach and. You know, they've got to divide their time between it all. But when you're refereeing, you've got a lot of people putting time and effort into you. Right. And I've never really had that. And I sort of, I, I was a bit of a kid that craved, you know, I, I was like a lot of kids, and I've seen it now when I look, when I go into and do stuff with young kids and kids at risk or anything like that. And I see the kids that, you know, are probably the most messed up are the ones that crave, you know, some attention and positive attention and positive mm. feedback. Um, 
Uh, and I got a lot of that in refereeing. So that's what sort of kept me to it. And then it got me to a point where it stopped me doing all the crazy stuff that I was doing away from footy because <laughs> I didn't want to let people down. Right. You know, those people that were putting the time in me, I thought, I don't want to let this person down. So I, you know, and then I continued to do more, and then I continued to go through the grades and get you know, into higher games. And then people started telling me that this is something that you may be able to do at the, you know, at the highest level if you continue at it. So, um, yeah, I sort of crave that, you know, wanting to belong and, and wanting people to give me credit and praise. So um, that's what kept me in it. And, um, yeah, I've got no doubt that's what kept me out of trouble as well. And that's amazing now that full circle, you're in a, currently in a role where you, you can now give that back because you're currently the, uh, well, you tell us that you're in the development officer. What's your current official role in the New South Wales referees? Um, yes, yeah, so, so that's, that's another thing that COVID sort of um, taken a oh, bit of a backpack to I work um, part-time for the New South Wales Rugby League as well as my full-time career as a referee. Yeah. So I do 20 hours a week across there. Um, so... Tuesdays um, with the NRL is my day off. Um, I spend probably 10 hours uh, on a Tuesday at New South Wales Rugby League. Right. So I start pretty early in the morning to get as much done and then um, go through to, you know, I'll probably get home. Well, it's probably more than 10 hours now because uh, I train a, a squad of referees at night there as well. So I'm, I'm probably there for 12 or 14 hours on a Tuesday. Wow. Um, yeah, so the role, the role was a um, community football development officer. Um, so that's run courses um, and all the education stuff for New South Wales Rugby League when it comes to refereeing. Um, but the role also, I also took on the role as the coach of our junior rep squad. Yeah. So a squad of 50 referees that are virtually the third tier of, of referees. So you've got your NRL, NRL squad, which is your elite squad of referees that are full-time professional referees. Then we have our grade squad, which is underneath, which is the New South Wales Cup, um, Sydney Shield, Ron Massey Cup. And the Harvey Norman Women's Competition, they officiate that level where those guys are semi-professional, so they get paid to train and paid for games, um, but they're not full-time and they don't have other jobs. Then we have the junior rep squad, which is our third year, which is virtually doing your apprenticeship to become a first-grade referee. So I coach those guys, so there's 50-odd um, members of that squad, uh, both male and female, um, of all varying backgrounds, ages. Mm. So um, it's... It's a pretty big task managing all those different characters and personalities, as well as um, uh, preparing them to be, you know, first grade um, full time officials. So, um, and that's a role that I absolutely love. Um, it's made me a better referee. It's made me a better person. Right. And yeah, I, I, I just really love the fact that I can have some input into making um, not only better referees but better better people and people that know the. You know, their self and their body and how they train and what they, you know, how, how they carry themselves. Mm. Um, you know, better. I, yeah, my goal in that squad isn't to make first grade referees, it's just to make people, when they leave, they come out um, better than what they were, whether it be in their refereeing, whether it be how they see themselves, how they want to train. You know, I have varying degrees of people in that squad from really fit young kids who I have no doubt will be successful in refereeing right. to. Some that I know this is the highest level that we're going to officiate at, but I've still got to manage all those people and make sure that when they leave or when they're not part of my squad anymore, you know, not only do they have good things to say about me, um, which not everyone will, but that they leave knowing that, you know, they've learned something or they're better off for being part of that system. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that sounds like the same kind of role that you benefited from when you were in that other, when you were down the other end trying to come up. You had people like that giving you that one on one special, you know, praise and, and and feedback, and now you seem to be able to give that back in this role. It seems like you're the perfect person set up for this 
for this exact position. Oh yeah, and I and I and I generally I really do enjoy it, and I think. And I know I've had a long career in dress code and I'm at the back end of it now, but it's something that I think I'd, I'd probably enjoy more than um, the, the officiating side of it um, and to, because of that purpose, you know, looking yeah. at it and thinking, you know, I could, I could have an impact on someone's life here. I could really make a change or, or help them become, you know, so much better than, and, and see their potential. Okay. So we spoke to Sean Hampstead about what referees or touch judges needed to do when they're, when they're starting out at that real grassroots junior league thing but what advice could you give to referees around the world to help up to help them upskill from local park footy to that rep level what are the kind of advice you'd give to people in jamaica or or, um or the netherlands who are trying to go from i've been doing this for a few years and i want to go next level up yeah and and it's a very hard thing um when you are distance like that because we have the same problems here even say you know people that are referring out in the country or people in Western Australia right. that are removed from the elite side of it. It makes it really hard for them to firstly get noticed and secondly, information, coaching. Mm. But yeah, there's, there's so much to it where you're just unfortunate through j- just location more than skill or whatever. Um, and it's something that, that, you know, it's something that I'd love to get into going down the track as well and helping out emerging nations and stuff like that around officiating. Um, the, the, the thing, the, probably the biggest thing now is just to, there's, there's a lot of resources online now. Okay. Um, even in the referee space, like you just got to go to nrl.com and you can. There's a referees page there, and there's a lot of training drills, there's video, um, there's stuff like that. And I think the best resources is watching the game. Yeah. Uh, especially you know, and listening into the referees. Now the referees are mic'd up, and and you hear what's being said and how they're saying it. And I know the NRL. You know, it's it's an elite level, and things are done at an elite pace, and you know it's very hard to then push that into a game that's you know so far below that that standard of, of game. But there's even stuff like you watch Newcastle um, Cup games, there's Schoolboy Cup games on TV now. You know, there's so many different you know Queensland Cup games. There's you know you can um, there's live streaming of, of park football now. So just watching that stuff as much as you can, and a lot of the times that the referees are mic'd up. Uh, and listening, I think, is the best way to upskill. Um, to get involved and to try and get to higher levels is going to be the hard part when it comes to location. Mm. But to me, it's about self-promoting. If you think that you've got some skill or something that you want to do, and uh, and uh, if you're stuck in North America or something, it's a bit harder. But yeah, to, I know Toronto and Ottawa um, in Super League and, and coming in the Championship one, and you've got the New York side that hopefully will come in the Championship football. Um, you know, you sort of got to you know, just promote yourself to, to those areas and then try and hopefully that, you know, you get picked up or someone sees something in in, in you or whatever there and, and you can maybe sort of progress through that. It, it is, I would say, the chances outside of the, the major leagues to be a full-time professional um, referee in rugby league are very difficult. Yep. Um, but it's not to say that it could never happen. But my, my thing is I'd love to see... Uh, rugby league throughout North America really boom, and um, we could have some professionalism in the game in that area because I think that's that's the slope in trying the rugby league for me. Yeah. Now, what about um? I mean, you just talked about before about you and Case loving to travel to America and do NFL stuff. Maybe your yeah. futures could be setting up systems or, or things, schools, graduation things about refereeing in the states. Because if you haven't much thought about how, how to set up refereeing. Pathways you've been in, you've been in and part of the, you know, the New South Wales pathway for a really long time. What do countries 
um, around the world do to try and set up refereeing pathways that are successful? Well, this is, this is a bit of a bugbear for me when it comes to anything in rugby league. Right. People will look at competitions. They will look at, um, you know, everything to do with it, but they, they always leave out refereeing. Mm. So, or it's always the last thought. Yeah. Okay, well, now we need referees for this. Um, how do we go about that? Yeah, so, it, so that's my thing. Um, yeah, you speak about travelling. So last year, um, when we were in the States, we met up with some of the guys from the Brooklyn Kings who uh, won the US um, competition last year. Right. And I was chatting with a few of those guys and um, around around refereeing, and they were talking about the standard of refereeing they get. And, and yeah, it's just generally some bloke that's around that you know, can, wants to help out. Yeah, one of the coaches um, or assistant coaches or yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and... and you know, week to week, the standard's going to be completely different, and there's no structure to how the game's officiated. Um, and breaking that back down, I think it was in 2010, um, I met up with a guy in New York who was actually running the referee for rugby league over there then, um, an ex Queensland guy by the name of, oh, I've lost it for a second now, I've had a mental block, uh, Robert Irwin. Um, right. So I met up with Robert Irwin. Yeah, I met up with him and his wife in New York in 2010 and started the process. They were like, I had a chat with him earlier. If there was anything, um, you know, that I could do to, to help out there. And that sort of fell, fell through, like, sort of, you know, with Freddie and that suddenly got a bit busy and stuff. But um, going forward, it's something that I'd love to get involved in. I think you've got to start it. The hardest thing is because is, you're starting at the grassroots level and there's not, not, not a lot of incentive for people to do it, except for our love of the game. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's in any role when you're starting. When you yeah. look at the people that, you know, it, it, whether it be Serbia, whether it be, you know, in, in the Netherlands or whatever, and they've got these small leagues, but it's all run by people who just have a passion for the game. And it's not about, well, it's about growing it, but it's not about make, making money or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's not a professional, and it's not meant to be at that, at that level, but that's the hard thing about, because um, the referendum to get, to get it to where it needs to be, you need resources, and the biggest resource is cash. Mm. And the game doesn't have it in those areas. That's where I think, you know, like the NRL, like the English Super League, where they have to start to look at it and go, well, yeah, although we have our own competitions to look after, we're also got an obligation to grow the game. And you know, I'd love to see some funding from some of those leagues to, to do some stuff like that. I'd love, I'd love to see us try and push to the college system in, in the US. And even if it's, you know, lower division colleges, like second division colleges and, you know, the, the community colleges in the states and try and push the game there because rugby rugby is pretty big mm. um, in the states in the co- in the collegiate system. But I reckon our game suits their style much better because it's much closer to the NFL. So you get those NFL players that sort of don't kick on or aren't getting game time. Um, who I think would love the the, the the crash and bash of our game. So that that's that's what I'd love to do. and I, and I'd love to. Um, even with the New York franchise, looking at going into the um, championship one in, in England, um, I'd love to get involved with those guys. Um, even Toronto Wolfpack, and you know, start to build. Okay, well, how do we build local referees and get them involved in that in that system? Yep. So that they're part of the Toronto Wolfpack system, or they're part of the New York um, rugby league system, and then or part of the you know, Netherlands system where um, we start to design what does. What does the courses look like? How does the coaching look like? Because with this day and age, with you know all the, all the technology, we can I can coach referees from here. Yeah, you know someone else can coach. You know, Stuart can, someone can coach from England. Yeah, and coach a referee because with you know video technology and you know, we've got so many different programs where we can interact. All the you know live interaction whilst watching the video. 
um, which is what I do with the squad of referees that I have now, there's no reason why we can't sort of push that into some of these emerging nations and, and give them the opportunity to be coached by, you know, some of the, the better coach, referee coaches in the game. Gavin, this is so exciting, man. Like, if, because we have lots of contacts. We have lots of people in America and the nations you said. At the risk of sounding disrespectful as well, you seem like you're quite across the emerging nation scene at the moment, talking about Serbia and different parts of Canada and things like that. Is that something that really does excite you, seeing rugby oh, league developing? Massively. Really? Massively. Oh, I, I, I love like, the, the international game. And, because you know why I love it? Because it's pure. It's raw. It's yes. like the, the women's game at the moment. Yes. So the women's game at the moment excites me more than anything. Um, and, and not only the, the NRLW, but you look at the Holson Cup in Queensland, you look at the, the Harvey Norman Women's Premiership down here. And yes. I, I've been fortunate enough to be, in my role, seeing the, especially the Harvey Norman Women's and the Tasha Gale Cup um, evolve from start to, you know, from, from those two competitions starting with my role at New South Wales, um, especially when the Tasha Gale Cup started as a nine-a-side competition. You know, and they build it to 11 to 13, and the quality of that competition after those under 18 girls is, is amazing. Um, the skill set, it's, it was almost a, a glorified touch footy comp without being disrespectful to it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. When it started, yep. because we got a lot of touch girls come across, and yeah. you know, there was, the contact wasn't great. It's, now it's a legitimate rugby league product. Um, the Harvey Norman Women's Comp, I, you know, I'm stuck in the bubble, so I can't go out and watch the games, but New South Wales Rugby League live streamed two of the games from the Centre of Excellence the other week. Um, two weeks and two Monday nights in a row, and the product on on the live stream looked outstanding. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and the reason and the women's origin is just you know it's it's booming, and, and you watch it and it is raw rugby league. It's just you know run up, get tackled, get up, play the ball, next play. There's no crap. There's no trying to yes. wrestle each other out of the game. You know, it's it's just it's just so pure, and and that's what I see when I when I look at. You know, rugby league in the smaller nations and the emerging nations. As far as on the weekend, we, you know, saw the Cleveland rugby league player game. You know, they started up two weeks ago, yeah. three weeks ago. You know, they just got a team together and, and, and got a trial match, and, and there was a game of rugby league played in Cleveland last weekend. Yeah. You know, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Gavin, you are, the, I mean, I already had a lot of love and respect for you, sir, but I don't think anyone understood because this podcast just looks at that. This podcast is about emerging nations and, and where rugby league is growing and so the reason for this referees one is that often we hear from places like um, Papua New Guinea and things like that that and Fiji is they need coaches and they need referees they've got a thousand players a thousand people want to play yes. it's just how do we make those players better and then how do we make those games better by adjudicating I knew that you were excellent in the in the role of New South Wales and the growth of New South Wales referees and obviously I, know, I knew you were a great guy but I had no idea that we were just about to unearth Pretty much the best spokesman for this podcast, which is that you are <laughs> no, across no, 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 everything no, we're talking about. You are, Gavin. Trust yeah, me. It's, <laughs> it's, it's funny you just spoke about CG because that's another area that I think is, a, is an untapped market. Yeah. So we have a competition, like we have a team that in New South Wales are playing in one of our competitions from CG. Um, unfortunately, COVID killed that off this year yeah. after one game. Cavini well. Seek Tales. So, no, we had a, we yeah, had uh, we had we had um, Petro on the. On one of our episodes, oh, okay. talking about it. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, what a, a good mate of mine, Stephen Driscoll, is highly involved in that as well. Right. Um, and and I think, you know, that's an untapped market for referees as well because I think the, the natural athletic ability of CGMs is insane. So you think about what, what we do as referees and, and, and this, you know, the running and stuff like that. Yep. CGMs would take straight to it. And then you think about, well, 
know, when you talk about incentives, it's a New South Wales run competition, so the payments for referees for that competition is pretty good. Mm. So if we were to then add that to, to you know, to the Fijians and say, well, if we can kind of earth a couple of referees here and have you referee the games over there instead of us having to send referees there, which we do at the moment, um, which saves us having to send referees there, but it's also a pathway in Fiji yeah. for referees to be semi-professional, yeah. which is, you know, it, it, apart from New Zealand, and, you know, there's, there's no other country in the world that have semi-professional referees, you know, because Australia and, and England both have full-time professional referees, New Zealand have some part-time. For Fiji to have part-time referees, I think, it, you know, we'd have people knocking down the door to try and get an opportunity to do that. It's just getting some coaches over there and some funding over there, which I have spoken to, to um, the Fiji rugby league about seeing where we can get some money to, to do something there. Well, now that we've also got such an excellent spokesman, spokesman for growth of rugby league in, uh, in such an important spot, Gavin, I, I feel like something great's going to happen. What other things um, do you think you really want to happen in the future? So you've just talked about how emerging nations and, and those kind of things. Is there anything else that you're really hoping happens that we haven't touched on? Um, no, not really. Like, like I said, my big thing is, is growing the game of rugby league because I think it's such a great sport. Like, I, I love rugby league. And I, I mean, <laughs> people, some of the referees think that, and Casey's, I, I've got kindred spirit in Casey. I, you know, we're, we're exactly the same. So she's the female version of me. Yeah. Just a lot better looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and we both love rugby league. And some of the other referees, they, they think we're mad the amount of football that we watch. And, you know, I'm in a privileged position where, you know, I, I don't have to pay to go and watch first grade rugby league. So mm. I go and watch as much as I can because that's not always going to be an opportunity for me. Um, and so, yeah, just a, a love of the game to see it grow because I think it's got so much potential. I think, you know, I, like, I love my, I love NFL as well. I think it's a great game. Um, and I think I love that because it's, it's so close to rugby league. Yep. And, I think the Americans would like, we've already seen it when, when it gets marketed and whatever. I think it, I know I keep talking about America because I just think it's a, a huge market. Where, oh, yeah, we agree. Um, where, the, where the money is. Um, and then, like anything, if Americans love something, then the rest of the world starts to love it. Yeah. Um, and the other and great thing, the, push. the other great thing they've recently done, as you pointed out, they, they've had those, those games that they've played recently, and that's during COVID. So, so the amount of motivation yeah. that those people who are organizing it and, and who love rugby league who are in the States. Is so strong that they can make this kind of stuff happen even in the face of, of the world being shut down. So, yeah, America's a real sleeping giant for sure. Well, you've got California like the legal house yes. holding the world championships in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, in typical American fashion, but I love it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's putting it out there and, and the Americans do what the Americans do. Um, but you think about that, California, like a massive market and a massive Polynesian market as well. Yes. You know? it's, 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 you know, Hawaii, it's just, it's, it's it's there. It's just waiting for the right person with, with the, the blank checks. Yeah. Well, thanks, Gavin. This has been great. That's all my questions and comments. Anything else before we finish? Uh, no, no, I'm fine. I've probably gone on a couple of pandits in there and, and probably kept you on there for too long. But no. when it comes to talking about refereeing and, and uh, or rugby league and, and refereeing in particular, I can I can talk about. No, I loved it. Thanks, Gav. I really appreciate your time, mate. No, no worries, mate. Too easy. Well, there you have it, guys. The Referee Project by Big T, one of his finest pieces of work, incredible work. Absolutely enjoyed every bit of it. Now, I did mention before that Gavin Badger interview that he did give a message to Big T off the air, which he wanted us to share with you all. And that is, if you are from a developing nation that plays rugby league or a development club, and you need some help with like referees education or advice, 
then Gavin's happy to help out. I, I don't know if he'll fly over there, but he'll definitely like be able to speak to you, help you with some videos or help you with, with, with advice to some degree. I'm sure he'd be happy to help. So if you are uh, from a developing nation, if you're a referee or involved with the referees and you need some help and you'd like someone like Gavin to help you out, then hit us up in the DMs. So Chasing Ruse on Instagram or Facebook, or you can contact me, Chasing Ruse Pod on Twitter, or of course, Big T, the biggest tiger on Twitter as well. So let us know uh, who you are, what you want to do, and sort of that you need Gavin's help, and we'll gladly pass on the details. And uh, hopefully we can all hashtag Grow Rugby League together. So amazing effort uh, from Gavin. All the guys there. So Sean Hampstead, thank you. Stuart Cummings, thank you. Gavin Badger, thank you. Big T, like fantastic interviews. The passion, I feel it every week, but I felt it even more so this week, mate. One of the best. Uh, So guys, that's it from us. We'll be back next week with a little uh, holiday special, a little New Year's special for you all. And uh, yeah, plenty of good content to come. So let's keep chasing those kangaroos together. See ya.